Let me read to you a text. Matthew chapter 20. I think I'll alter my sermon for. See how the Lord guides us in these next few minutes. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 17. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This text is a fitting text for Father's Day. It outlines for us the spirit and posture that every husband, every dad should have. He lives out his life in his home. It is a text of Scripture that comes to us in a series of messages through the Gospel of Matthew, where we come to that moment, as we've seen in recent weeks in chapter 16, where Jesus, in his earthly life and ministry, begins to talk to his disciples about building his church. Up to that point, he talked about his kingdom, but now he talks about, I will build my church and the gate of hell will not prevail against it. And in the remaining chapters of Matthew, from chapter 16 on, he says much about what life is to look like in the church as we do life together as the disciples of Christ. We've seen this play out in the last few weeks. If we are truly disciples of Christ, we will confess with Peter Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. If we are truly disciples of Christ, we will be willing to deny ourselves daily and follow Christ. If we are 
true disciples of Christ, we will be willing to be baptized and go public with our faith, and we will be willing to be joined to the life of a local church where we can serve and live out our faith. If we are true disciples of Christ, as we heard last week from Brother Leo, we will be willing to live our lives in the accountability structure of the church, and we will be our brother and sister keeper. We will be watchful over each other. And today we now learn that if we are true disciples of Christ, we will live as servants of Christ and of his people in the life of the church. This, this text that I've just read to you is a text that talks about servanthood in the body of Christ. And in the interest of just getting right to the heart of this text, let me, let me give to you two or three simple truths here. Jesus teaches us that discipleship in the church, first of all, renounces this world's use of power and privilege. Jesus teaches us that if we are truly his disciples in the church, we will use our position, we will use our power differently than the world does. Look at verses 25 and 26. Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. It's important to see what's going on here as we seek to do life together. Jesus is not saying, he's not saying that power and authority are bad. For in fact, as you study all of Scripture, you find out that power and authority are granted by God to different people as he wills. And in fact, you learn that there is authority and there's power structures within the family, within the church, within society. What Jesus is getting at here is not telling us, hey, don't have anything to do with authority, don't have anything to do with power. What he's saying is, if you have power and authority, use it in the right way. Use it with humility. Do not abuse that power. We all have, everyone in this room, has some kind of power and authority in somebody's life. We all have it. It's a question of how we use it. If we're a pastor, we have authority. If we are teachers, we have authority. If we are parents, we have authority. If we are business owners, we have authority authority and power and privilege if we are Americans. We all, compared to the rest of the world, have a tremendous amount of power and of privilege. If we are educated, if we are free people, if we are middle and upper class people, if we have a home and a job and three square meals, we have a measure of privilege. We have a measure of power. We all do. If you don't know that about yourself, then you're going to run the risk of misusing the power that you have and the privilege that you have. We all have power and privilege. The question is, how are we using it? What is the posture? What is the spirit? What is the commitment 
of our hearts. Jesus says discipleship in the church renounces the world's use of power and authority. But then he goes on. And this is the heart of it. Discipleship in the church assumes a servant's identity. Discipleship in the church assumes a servant's identity. Look at verse 26, the second half, down into verse 27. Whoever, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Please, please understand the language here is language that is not in any way equating to the type of slavery that happened in this country in past generations. This is nothing to do with that. But Jesus is saying to us that if we would be great, we must identify ourselves and live out the identity of servants. If we would be first, we must be those who willingly and voluntarily give ourselves to the needs of others. We must be servants. This isn't Christian cliche here. This isn't, this isn't just us using spiritual language. This is at the very heart of what it means to be a disciple of Christ, to what it means to be a brother or sister in Christ. We must have this as part of our identity. Who are you? Who are you? Well, I hope you can say by faith in Jesus Christ, you are a justified sinner. I hope you can say by faith in Christ, you are an adopted son or daughter of God. I hope you can say by faith in the teaching of God's Word that you are one who bears the image of God stamped into you dignity and beauty and worth and value and that that image is being restored and, and renovated and, and is being made new day after day so that eventually you are going to be this glorious reflection of the being and the beauty of God. I hope you can say all of those things. Image bearer of God. Justified sinner before God. Adopted son or daughter of God. You must be able to say those things if you're going to live a secure and safe life in this broken world. You have to be able to say those things by faith in Christ. But we must also, if we are going to be faithful to Christ, be willing to identify ourselves as servants of Christ. Identify ourselves. Notice Jesus here. He doesn't say, if you want to be great, serve. He doesn't say, if you want to be first, do serving things. He says, if you want to be first and great, be a servant. Be a slave to others. Be one who devotes yourself to the well-being and the good of others. Make that part of your identity as a Christian. I'm convinced that one of the greatest challenges we American Christians face is the, the me-ism of our culture. The cult of me. 
Everything is about me and mine. Ever notice how one of the first words that little children learn? Mine. Mine. And we Americans have perfected this cult. We worship at the temple of self. We as Christians don't realize how much meism we have bought into. Jesus comes along and says, I am here to declare that, to declare that wrong, and to declare my way, my way. My way is, it is not about me, it is me, you, I get my pronouns all mixed up here, all right, let me start over. Jesus is saying, <laughs> All right. Folks, it's not about me. It's about him. And it's about each other. Two fundamental truths that are at the core of this. Number one, I am not my own. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. And I'm to glorify Jesus Christ in everything I do. He died for me so that I would no longer live for myself, Romans 14, but for Him who loved me and died for me. I am not my own. Can you say that? Do you believe that? Do you live that? Or are you, are you worshiping at the altar of me? I am not my own. Truth number one. Truth number two. You are more important than me. I am not my own. I belong to Jesus Christ. He has bought me with His precious blood. He has paid the ultimate price to make me His. I am not my own. I am His. And, and, it's not about me. It's about you. You are more important than me. Is that how we're living? That's at the heart of what it means to identify ourselves as servant of Jesus Christ and as a servant of the body of Christ. We are, we are those who know we are not our own. We are those who know you are more important than me. And we live this. This is what Jesus is teaching us here. True discipleship. True discipleship takes on the identity of a servant. Third, true discipleship in the church imitates the king's example. Look at verse 17. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. And on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. First thing to notice here is that this isn't the first time we read this kind of statement from our Lord. It's actually the third time. Back in chapter 16, if you flip back there in verse 21, it says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the 
priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Then in chapter 17, verse 22, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. So this is three times now in three or four chapters that Jesus has made predictions about his own suffering, his own death. What does that say to us? It says to us that the death of Jesus Christ was not an accident. It was not something that was imposed on him. It was not something done to him. Jesus Christ offered himself on the cross for us. Jesus Christ set his face toward Jerusalem, where it was going to happen. He set his face toward Golgotha. He says, I'm going there because I have come for this purpose. He came to die. He was born to die. And so, He died for us to be our ransom and to be our example. Look at verses 27 and 28. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man. You may recognize that term, Son of Man. It comes from the book of Daniel, where Daniel sees a vision of the Ancient of Days, and there is one like unto the Son of Man who appears in all of His glory. That's, this, that's God the Son. That's the one who became incarnate in Mary's womb. The Son of Man came. Listen to this. He came not to be served. Does that, does that, does that shock you the way it should be? The Son of Man who sits on the throne, who created all things, who is Lord of all. He came not to be served. He came to serve. And to do what? To give his life as a ransom for many. To pay the price to set you and me free. He came to ransom us. But then Jesus says, now I want you to live as I have lived. I want you to follow my example. I want you to serve each other the way I'm serving you. I want you to lay your life down. True discipleship follows the example of Christ. Identifying ourselves as servants of Christ and servants to one another. We follow the example of Christ. Now the question is, who in their right mind would do this? What in the world could possibly motivate a human being to lay his or her life down for others. I mean, as the old TV commercial put it, you only go around once, right? Some of you don't remember that old TV commercial. It's a real old TV commercial. The, the full saying was, you only go around once in life, so grab all the gusto you can. The beer ad, I think. 
Who in their right mind, if you've only got one chance at this life, if you only go around once, who in their right mind would lay that life down for others? It's insane unless, unless the last part of Jesus' prediction is true. On the third day, I will be raised from the dead. And I will live forever. And I will promise you eternal rewards. See, what does our Savior and our Master promise to us? He says, the servant will be great. The least will be first. In verse 16, the last will be first. And if you go back, just look back at chapter 19 and verse 27. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Brothers and sisters, give up a house for Jesus' sake. Sell some land and give the proceeds to the poor. Be willing to take a stand with your family and maybe lose the favor love of your mom or your dad or your sister or your brother because you love Jesus even more than them. Be willing to do these things and Jesus says, I am going to give you it all back a hundredfold. I am going to reward you in ways you can't even begin to grasp. Whatever it is that you think you've sacrificed on that day, you'll realize it was no sacrifice at all because I have multiplied it a hundred times over. I, I will not be outgiven. I'm going to bless you. In one of the other Gospels, it says, in this life and in the life to come. That doesn't mean blessed with prosperity materially or physically. It means blessed in the soul with blessings and joys that cannot be put into words. The only people who will lay down their lives for others in day in, day out sacrifice and service are those people who believe that there is a day to come when the Master himself will say, well done. Come and receive the reward that I have promised for you. And there will be crowns and there will be thrones and there will be applause and there will be, look at my son here. Look at my daughter here. Look at my child here. Look at this one who loved me and, and laid down his life for me and for my people and for my church. Heaven will resound with the songs of praise to King Jesus and the applause of the angels as we are celebrated and crowned with glory and honor on that day. What an amazing King and Savior we have. 
Folks, you and I will not have the endurance we need to live out life in this broken world if we don't believe that he who died was raised from the dead. And if we don't believe that he is now in heaven sitting on a throne. The only way we will keep on keeping on is if we believe that at the end of the journey, there's a king and a savior that's going to be waiting for us. He's going to say, welcome home, children. Welcome home. Welcome home. This is the place I have prepared for you. Come into my home. Come into my country. Come into my world. Where all the tears are wiped away. And all the sorrows are gone forever. We will know that not only was his eye on the sparrow, his eye was on us the whole way through. The whole way through. Oh, let us be those who are willing to be identified as the sons, the daughters, the servants of the Most High God. And we will not be disappointed for Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like us and to ransom us and take us home to be with him. We need to close our worship in communion. We, we need to share the, drink, the cup and share the bread together. The usher could be prepared for this, please. Just to, to bring our hearts back. Bring our hearts back. There's heaven awaiting. There are rewards awaiting. There's blessing awaiting. But we get it all because the Son of Man became a ransom for us. He poured out his blood. He let his body be broken, crushed for our sakes. The ushers would come and distribute the bread. We just need to reflect, reflect quietly as the elements are distributed. May our hearts be joined to Christ in fresh faith and love and surrender so that we might delight in him.
the night before our Lord was crucified, he had a meal with his disciples and interrupted that meal at a couple of points to give to them and give to us a way of remembering that the Son of Man came not to serve or be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He's, he said to them, I want you to take the piece of bread and break it. And even as this bread is broken, I want you to realize that my body was broken, broken, broken for us. He said, I want you to eat it often in order to remember me. Should eat it often in order by faith to experience my presence, my love more intimately in your own heart. Let us let us eat and let's remember Jesus. Let's experience his love afresh as we remember him together. cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant. My blood, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Even as the grapes were crushed, Christ Jesus was crushed for us and his blood poured out as an atonement for us, a ransom for us, so that we could be free free to serve him and serve each other in love. What a price that was paid for us. What a ransom paid. No higher ransom, no greater ransom, no more costly ransom has ever been paid for anyone than that ransom paid for you and me. Jesus says, I want you to drink from this cup often so that you don't forget. Don't forget my blood that has set you free. Let's drink to remember it. I wonder as we close, I'd like to invite you to stay where you are just for two or three minutes. Pray, reflect, Think through perhaps one way that the message perhaps is a message you've needed to hear and one way that it can be applied in your life for the glory of Christ and for the good of others. Let us love one another even as Christ has loved us. As Dave continues to play just for two or three minutes and then as you have a sense in your own spirit in your own heart that that time is complete you may be free to go father as we reflect as we ponder may your spirit work deeply in us that we might be like jesus make us like jesus oh lord